everyone. Welcome to Zonan Canada. I'm your host, Jesse Betteridge. Uh, as always, this is a podcast focusing on the connections between anime and Canadian media. And joining me uh, is my good friend, longtime, uh, I guess you, for, for the longest time we would say that you were pretty much a co-host in the show, but uh, it's actually been almost two years uh, since, since you were last on, Carl. It's Carl Olson, everyone. Hello, everybody. It's Carl. Uh, aka Ultra Clastron, does theme music for the show, and so on. And yeah, no, it has been a minute, but it's because you've had many illustrious guests able to uh, turn up and speak to different topics, which is something is is a better choice than just having me on for the sake of having me on. But I think for what we're talking about this episode, I am an applicable guest. So I agree, and I also have to point out there have been numerous long hiatuses, also as a result of my decision to just not. Um, have the two of us chat <laughs> randomly as often. And the reason uh, we're doing it this time is because the day that this episode is going to be released, or probably be released, is going to mark a very terrifying anniversary. Uh, it is going to be the 20th anniversary of Zonan Canada as a brand, as a blog, as a podcast, um, as whatever you think of uh, Zonan Canada to be. It's going to be 20 years old. I don't know. I guess there's worse ways to spend 20 years of your life. Yeah, Carl, you've been at least on the sidelines of this whole thing since uh, since the beginning. Do, do, do you even do you do you remember it all? It all started with like a thread on Toon Zone. I can't uh, if remember anybody the, remembers Toon Zone. The, the rough part and I the, came up the other day uh, out of out of sort of a very weird set of conversations on blue sky that made me go look try to look up some some old terrible reviews i did i was like oh my god none of that stuff was archived on archive.org and so all of the you know like it would have been great to look back and be like you know did i who nudged who into like you doing this and looking back at that thread specifically but if the articles aren't archived much like many forum uh threads and, and to be fair many other forums uh so much of that stuff is now very solidly in the lost media category now and with very very unlikely to be recovered so i don't i don't know the details for sure off the top because it has been so long but i do know that that was something that came out of i think in some ways toon zone only having so much capacity to cover stuff and you having the the, the knowledge and perspective there to cover it so i, I you know I put it this way, had you asked me back then, I definitely would have been like, oh, just do a blog, thinking like that's normal, even though that was not, but growing up in Seattle, I thought it was normal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, see, I don't think I don't think anybody told me to do it. So maybe let's break this down. If you're not mm-hmm. familiar with Toon Zone, it was a news website about animation. Uh, and it had a very large forum. Some might say the forum overshadowed uh, the website. Um, oh geez, like there's <laughs> it never happened with uh, any forums and their no associated ever. websites. Yeah, I mean certainly not like like the most notable forum of the O's. That certainly was not the case with its front page content. Um, no, I mean it was interesting though. Yeah, there was definitely a time where Toon Zone's uh, forum preceded the reputation of its news, but the news was great and it was something that. Um, provided me with skills that if not directly fungible still have left me in better stead than many of my peers in stem <laughs> yeah and toon zone does technically still exist but um we've talked about this on the show already it's it's under the name 
anime superhero. I tried to go to the anime superhero site. Yeah. Was part of this chase with Blue Sky, and it just, nothing was loading. So I don't I don't know if that properly exists right now, or whether there's in the middle of like site something rehashing or whatever. But yeah, it's um, for a long time though it was it was quite a force. It got name dropped on Adult Swim. Yeah, um, it was the kind of thing where if you told an animation studio or an animator, "Hey, I'm with them." It would open doors. Um, you know, I got to go tour AKA Cartoon in Vancouver because of that. Um, I got to, uh, you know, see all sorts of screeners for shows well before they aired because of that. Like it being a, uh, albeit unpaid volunteer reporter um, for uh, a media conglomerate that was always, I guess, technically in the red. Hey, still what the work that we were turning out uh had some respect on it i guess (laughs) yeah it was the forums were a bit of a weird place i remember it took a really long time for them to have an actual dedicated anime forum they were they were resisting that for some time they preferred to just kind of throw everything together and categorize it differently which i almost you know that was almost kind of admirable in a way everything was always divided based on american Television, of course, you had yeah. like a tun- there was a tsunami forum, there was an Adult Swim forum, mm-hmm. there were forums based on the way that you saw shows in in America, and that dominated the discussion. But there were lots of people from around the world, and, and so much of the discussion was colored by the tsunami fandom. And tsunami at this point of time, which was like between two thousand one to two thousand three, this was that kind of golden time where we were at the height of the Pokemon craze. Anything that aired on TV was going to have like a heightened impact. You know, very brief period of time, but you could throw anything on TV, and it was going to be better received and better received than it would be, I think, at any other time before or after on on Cartoon Network, at least. The and the the big thing was that none of these shows were airing in Canada. We've we've talked about ad nauseum on this show before. You know, YTV aired Gundam Wing. It didn't. Obviously, they, they, they didn't have a lot of faith in the show, and we just didn't get most of that Toonami stuff for that three-year period. And uh, as a pretty obnoxious 17-year-old, that really annoyed me. And no, no one told me to make a website or a blog. Um, I would just, you know, complain about it on ToonZone a lot. And I said, I'm going to go make my own website where I complain about this and bring attention to it and, you know, make real changes in the world that matter. And you're all going to understand why this is important. It's not just going to get buried under all this US-centric stuff in this forum. And I had no idea what I was doing. Honestly, I never had any idea what I was doing. I still kind of have no idea what I'm doing with all of this. Um, it, it, behind the scenes, like, I don't, I don't know what the fuck's going on. Yeah, I, I just kind of grabbed together whatever connections I could. Uh, I knew the guy who ran Sonic HQ, Zifei Wu, uh, who was... He wasn't on Toon Zone, but he was. A lot of people on there knew him um, through through other communities. Uh, he was running this website called Pathea.net. Uh, it was a really unfocused animation site because he at this time he was just kind of trying to get something off the ground, some kind of brand. Um, and he and I asked him like, "Can you host my website?" And he said, "Sure. You can just write a couple articles for this site." So I wrote some bad articles on on. On, uh, on on pathe.net and he just hosted my website for a couple of years and that's kind of where everything took off there was no domain name or anything i was just uh had this very very hostile very tasteless poorly researched and conceived website called zonan canada 
uh, thrown together with, you know, Japanese that I've learned in high school. Although I will say, Zoning Canada as a brand, as a phrase, uh, I think has held up extremely well. Because um, it, it it's works. catchy. It's and it's catchy. still it's short, valid 20, it's still, 20 years later. <laughs> yeah, it's catchy. It's short. I don't think it will ever not hold some weight in some capacity. But no, I think it's, it, I mean, honestly, sometimes you're very lucky when you pick branding when you're a teenager because it makes perfect sense for what you're doing for the next, you know, chunk. And then sometimes you're like me and you pick a name that makes a lot of sense for like doing drum and bass music. And then you start doing rap and you're like, that was too many syllables for that but I can't change it now. <laughs> um, and that kind of thing, uh, you know, so you, you know, you got to take, you got to take the, the wins and the losses there, but it's um, no, I mean, I've always, uh, the, the interesting takeaway from it, especially with the context of like recently trying to be like, I just need to find this article where I like reviewed terrible, like Miss Dr. Seuss uh, tie-in pancakes. So I can mm -hmm. throw it up as like a joke and I can't because I entrusted even my goofy work um, let alone the more serious stuff where it's like I interviewed Koge Dombo, I interviewed like all these folks, like interviewed uh, Travis Willing, who was, you know, a VA for Funimation, all these folks. Um, all that stuff is like tears and rain, um, you know, and so that aspect of the, the foresight of being a impetulant 17-year-old uh, saying, I'm just going to build my own website and write for that own website as if it is as important as if I had been at least getting free DVDs to write for somebody else's website like I was, um, turned out to be the better thing long-term because if I had put the same effort into something, whether that was just literally under my own name as a personal thing or I tried to come up with branding the way other folks had, the fact that matters is some of those other folks, even if they're now writing for ANN or writing for other sites or still just writing on their own, they still have all that content. It still exists. And I think looking back now, 20 years, the fact you still have all this stuff and it's yours and you know where it is. And if you want to say like, I'm going to put this all up on internet archive to mirror it. And you have all of that for sure on hand where I'm like, what did I pull that directly from the SDCC? Do I, do I have any of these you know Any what? I don't drafts, have. It's gone. <laughs> a lot of the old stuff I don't have backed up. It is. You. It is currently on the Wayback Machine. Um, you. But that you means you did that right. Far, far right more of it. Far more of it than I would care anybody be able to find is indeed on the Wayback Machine. <laughs> um, if you, I think I don't know if the oldest iteration of the website is on there. If you were around then, you'll know the website basically had like a newsy blog on the front page which I, I guess was pretty much the only place uh one of the only places reporting canada specific anime news uh there was pan site lilola.net of course and, and a couple others that was kind of on the decline at that time around 2000, 2003 um but i i spent most of the time all those shows i you know all those shows that were airing on tsunami like tenchi muyo g gundam the big o the stuff that we weren't getting uh i just wanted to just wanted to incessantly complain about that. I wanted to complain about how badly Teletoon dropped the ball or was dropping the ball in not picking up these shows and uh, brazenly abusing their position as the animation channel in Canada. And I had spe you know special pages on the site where I would... These are all the problems with Teletoon. These are all the problems with YTV. Uh, stuff, and these are all the shows that were missing. That was... 
that was that that's what i felt needed yeah. attention in the year 2003 where like nothing else obviously nothing else was going wrong in the world at that time well and, and <laughs> how and honestly how could you have known that you know they would eventually it would eventually lead to such important moments in you know canadian an- anime style things and connections like spider riders and my life me <laughs> well see that's you the couldn't funny have thing this that's the funny thing in 2003 like i launched this like july 18th 2003 mm-hmm. and literally like less than two weeks later YTV announced that they were airing Inuyasha that fall, which is <laughs> basically what I was, what the the thing I wanted. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just like, oh, what do I do now? And I just, just kind of winged it from there. Um, so <laughs> yeah. And sometimes, somehow I, I have, I have kept it going for 20 years. That site, it was originally on, uh, mm-hmm. Um, I, I actually looked into it again. Apparently it's now a game company based in China uh, and Zifei Wu is the creative director of that company, so he also started that brand, wasn't quite sure what to do with it, held on to it, and turned it into something where um, he's obviously making a lot of money, um, where I'm, whereas I'm just losing money uh, on this podcast now. I have never made a dime off of Zon in Canada. When I was when I was on Pathia.net, I did start up a little forum and stuff, and we did have a community of people who were posting. I don't, I don't think uh, you were there too much, Carl, but you know that's I don't where even, we met. I don't even know if I, I signed up because yeah. I think it's like you and me are just on Tune Zone with your mm-hmm. little pepperidge handle, um, which is clever because it's like like your name, but it's not. It's, uh, not, it's referential, yeah. and uh, it was. Uh, and the thing is, is you were. You start up Zon in Canada not too long after um, Ben Applegate, who is then known by his handle Twage, and who is now, you know, some sort of god king over at Random House with regards to to um, uh, manga. I don't like he keeps getting promoted, and I haven't kept up. Um, but it's it's just a, you know talk about the, the things that you start just out of habit and youth, and you're able to kind of parlay forward. Um, great example of that. But the thing is, he pulls me in to start, you know, uh, writing and uh, be a mod. And uh, that was second year a mod on a forum uh, that soaks up a lot of time, especially if you're trying to do community college and work a job at the same time. So, like, it definitely hyper focused my attention on basically one forum. <laughs> I had Fair kind of enough. Had, I, had, I kind of had to mind tunes on. It's like, did I have a PayPal account? Could I have, could I have thrown 10 bucks and like, you know, hung out on something off on all these other places that were like very <laughs> vibrant points in the internet? I'm like, yeah. Did I have the time for that? No. <laughs> we we had like we had a little community going. I know, um, you know, Ian was there. Uh, he, he, he followed from Tune Zone um, and a few others who have been on the show. Uh, over over the last few years, we're uh, we're on that community as well. Uh, it was u- ultimately it was not that active, and I just kind of had to kill it after a certain point because I didn't feel it was worth maintaining. Um, Forms are hard. <laughs> yeah, they 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 really are. Um, and also, just finding hosting for a website is also hard. Uh, I was only on that that place for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Then I had to move it over to another site uh, run by. A guy I had met in person at uh, at some conventions in Vancouver. Um, it was anime-source.com. Um, hmm. It was supposed to be like a catch-all anime website, um, but it was actually just mostly a torrent website. Um, <laughs> but I, I had a domain name at that point, zonen.ca, which I have held on to all that time. Uh, so I didn't have to worry about anyone knowing what site my site was actually connected to. Uh, I could just I could just do my own thing. 
It was also around this time uh, that I gave the site a major visual upgrade. It was something I like dashed together on Dreamweaver for the longest time, and, and again, it looked, it looked pretty terrible. Uh, my good friend from high school, Sam Delmont, uh, he actually uh, very generously threw together a, um, a much better looking design for the site for me, made it a lot more functional, made it look a lot better, um, made it easier to navigate, uh, and I, I stuck with the design he created for, for, for quite a long time, and that, uh, that had a really big, uh, really big impact on things. But yeah, I still just kind of chugged along, doing what I was doing, complaining about whatever I could complain about. I was gonna. I, I want to talk a little about Teletoon later in this episode, um, but Teletoon was always a, uh, a, a a nice big target for me because uh, they, you know, there's lots of good things we can say about Teletoon. We should focus on the good things because the the English version of the station is gone now. But Maybe for, to a real one, <laughs> which is wild. Y- yeah, it is. Uh, it, it it is pretty crazy. Um, but you know, they they always made themselves an easy target. Um, but I would still. You know, try to get that news out there. I know it did get the attention of, like, Christopher McDonald, uh, who plugged the site as much as he could, or was able to get people to uh, over at Anime News Network. Um, and, you know, it, a lot, a lot, I'm still surprised by how many people remember uh, that that old blog sometimes. Um, which is, you know, it's nice when you find someone who, who tells you, oh, I followed you since 2003. I'm just like, shit, really? <laughs> um, oh, dear. Yeah. Please forget uh, some of that. Uh, no, it is. It is. It is truly. It's bad. Bizarre. It's a bad. It's the website is all bad things. No, like, you, don't, like don't look like, at it. Like but. it is truly bizarre. Anytime there's like a creative, like there's like you know like like a VTuber will be like, I listened to your raps when I was in high school. I'm like, that was a terrible decision. <laughs> Why did you do that? <laughs> um, but then you're like, then you at the same time you have to be like, that's really cool, and you have to respect that. Like you, you know, have encouraged people to like. It's one of those things that you kind of have to to appreciate that like yeah maybe not everything lined up the way one expected but if you've nudged somebody else for it into something that's yeah um not not everybody gets the chance to do that um, but i and yeah we, I, and like the I, internet was really good for letting folks like you and i do that stuff without sort of any sort of constraint or forethought we just could just go for it it was a lot easier to do it then than it is now i don't um, I, not only I, not only because of the options that existed if you if you were resourceful uh but just the fact that people would go to your website or you yeah, could get people to go to a website that's the hard that's the hardest thing yeah, now you make a website that's not in one of the one of the silos uh very difficult to get anybody to care it, it's very <laughs> yeah the thing is is like now it's like hostings mbd five dollars throw a drop up on digital o- ocean click the add a blog script you're good to go it's not you know it's a lot easier than it used to be um, in many key ways to the point where it's all like the idea that like, I'm, you know, if this person learns how to make a blog, they're going to be able to like make a living. It's like, no, cause there's no effort in like setting that part of it up. Like the finesse now is, is in building a brand because the tech part has been so blessedly abstracted that you don't have to like muck around in a Unix system with FTP permissions and crap like that just to like set up WordPress or B2, right? Yeah. Um, we're in we're in a we're in a better era because I think I re- even remember one time you're like what like what CMS should I use and I'm like oh god <laughs> like it's um the the entire time just it was like my entire time operating that site was just like me constantly asking you and other people I know like ran, random tech questions just kind of 
patching it all together and never really understanding how any of it went together in the end. And I still don't. Uh, it's that's at the same time, I guess it's kind of impressive because I was able to without any of that tech knowledge and for, for, for the longest time, just riding on anger over shows that didn't air on TV at that what after a certain point would have been years ago because you know I got so much mileage out of um, being angry about not being able to be there during the not being able to see the prime tsunami years myself and all those shows we missed out on and at the same time coasting on this complete lack of, of technology and just knowing people who could who could kind of help me out I guess it's kind of impressive in a way <laughs> it's I, I guess I should go with a positive spin maybe yeah well, and it's, it's about the connections, right? A lot of this is just, you know, the people who you, you know, like you and I became friends through the forums and through that kind of stuff like that linked up. Like, when was the first time we met? I was talking about so the this first, with the Danielle first time we the met, other day. The first time we met was SakuraCon 2006. Uh, and I ran into you and Sketch and Lance Haskell at the Funimation booth at that con. That's when we all first met. I'm sure it's 2006 because I remember because here's what here's here's me talking timelines. 2003, I go I think to my first SakuraCon. Then 2004, uh, it's still at the it's still at the hotel. 2005, I think is the first time it's at the convention center. 2006 was the first time I was at the convention center because that was the first oh. time I went. Okay, well then yeah. all right, there you go. Yeah. And then, right, then I probably the ears shifted a little. Yeah, and then. It was either that summer or the summer after where uh, I met you and or you showed up at Anime Evolution and I met up with you and Danielle at the Vic Mignogna panel. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Which is the most 2007 thing. It is the most 2007 thing. <laughs> it's also just really funny just because it's all like obviously his whole thing came apart and, you know. The joke was, is for all of his running around, there was plenty of actually adult people who would have been interested in if he just wasn't a dirtbag. <laughs> like, yeah. All t- I mean, we, we talk about, like, you know, what did you do with your last 20 years uh, from, from you know, 2003 to 2023? And I'm like, you know what? You, you know, no matter how, what, wherever the dreams were versus reality were, we're all doing better than that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh- I mean, I, I guess. Do you, do you think it's possible anybody's listening to this who, who doesn't know about Vic Mignogna? He's 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 a bad man. Let's, let's just say that he's a bad man who he, he was is, at anime conventions and did bad things. He got his and, ass beat in court because he was dumb enough to sue people yep. who had the receipts on him, and then he got the world's worst lawyer, who then ha- let him put into desp- deposition him basically snitching on himself. And for his attempted lawsuits, he got totally like BT, BTFO like zero to twenty three. So <laughs> yeah, don't 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 have like the easiest bag in the world and fumble it because you're like can't uh, give your female coworkers any respect. <laughs> you know, looking back though, it's like I'm sure a lot of people, but like I really appreciate just the way you stuck this on and as a brand and as an idea and then evolving in the podcast. I always thought that was. A real clever way to keep the things rolling into different mediums, and now that we're gradually trying to throw this thing uh, online uh, on YouTube and stuff like that, like you know, the next thing we're gonna have to do is like actually do like video. And it's gonna I, be your, this could be your next pivot. So I'm I'm not quite sure. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I mean, I, I was gonna say at the beginning, like tw- 25 
years is a better milestone to celebrate. Um, yeah. To be perfectly honest, I don't know if I could even keep this podcast going for another five years. I, I think I'm going to run out of stuff to talk about. I bo- Mostly because there's only so many retrospectives I can do. There's only so many things to look back on, um, you know, even, even going back decades uh, that you can really do an episode about. And with the way, uh, you know, the landscape of media and the internet is changing uh there just might not there just might not be anything distinct to say about canada anymore uh in the future depending how things go we we don't know i feel like that's a segue to one of your next topics well we'll we'll get to that in a bit um okay i got to uh just to finish off the 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 journey of zana in canada um i yeah after we were done at anime source uh i got actually i a guy I knew from the anime club at SFU uh, actually offered to host the site because I wasn't able to keep it on, on anime source after a certain point. I was kind of surprised he offered to do that um, because he, we kind of didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things, but he, uh, I think he just kind of wanted, he had server space and he, wa- he, he wanted to use it for something. I don't think he realized that my website was like very active and had lots of traffic and it kind of, kind of became a burden on him. But that was actually one of the one of the better homes Zun Canada has had, and I felt like it was the site wasn't weighed down a lot when I had it on there. Uh, but that's kind of where things were at the tail end, uh, and I sh- I ultimately wound up shutting the site down um, early 2010. And you know the reason I always said was because that's when Bionics ended on YTV, and I felt that with the end of Bionics. And Crunchyroll starting to dominate the way that people consumed anime. Uh, I felt that there just wasn't anything to talk about anymore at that point. Weirdly mirroring what I just said about <laughs> possibly ending this podcast within the next few years. And But you know, the other reason was that I was being kicked off the host. And I just didn't want to bother to find anything new at that point. At least not... That would allow me to run the way the site the way I had been running it up to that point, and it had th- I had stripped things down. I I took off all the pages talking about specific channels in Canada. It was pretty much just a, a news blog at that point, um, where I I sprinkled in far too many um, opinions. Uh, I I have to say even 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 in the the, the later days, uh, so I I did I simply pulled the plug on it, and I didn't even actively conserve it or preserve it. Uh, it it all just went away. I replaced it for a couple of months with a um, a Save the Spectacular Spider-Man website because that's what I was obsessed with at that time and uh, I was so infuriated that it had been cancelled. And on that note, um, I, I do got to point out, did you, did you see Across the Spider-Verse? I have not had the chance yet. I'm going to probably, much like many things these days, it's going to be something I will eventually get to when I... Uh, it, it 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 it'll it'll come to me. I won't yeah. come to it. It'll I, it'll turn up in my in in my uh, I, travels or something. I have to say the the cancellation of Spectacular Spider-Man made me so angry. Um, but the and, and I just like wrote off Spider-Man for years. I'm just like I'm done. I'm done with Spider-Man. But uh, justice has finally been delivered for Spectacular Spider-Man fans with that movie because not only does he make a can- like Spectacular Spider-Man make a cameo. With Josh Keaton doing the voice, they actually adapt a scene, like a spectacular Spider-Man version of a scene from the comics that that show didn't actually get to. Um, 
which I thought was a really cool way to homage that. Not something I ever expected uh, to see from 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 another creative staff because it always kind of felt like Spectacular Spider-Man never got the respect it deserved from. Um, you know, from from especially like the, the, the people who made the movie Spider-Man movies. Well, that's the and kind that's, of thing, though. Is is that the it's if there's one Spider-Man, if there's one superhero thing that gets the value of uh, creative input in variety of creative input, like I mean, the Spider-Verse films may be literally the only ones that actually get get it in terms but, of Hollywood film. Like everything it's not else just, is. It's Everything not else about is, is 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 like we're doing two things to do two things. They're putting things together and drawing influences together because they care. So of they, course, if anyone was going to do it, it was going to be them. Yeah, Spider. Well, Spider Spider Verse is great because what separates it from other superhero movies is that it's not it's not just adapting the stories or the character arcs or adapting the quote unquote adapting those into film. It's adapting the legacy of all of the people who worked on Spider-Man in any kind of creative capacity, the writers, the artists, everyone who worked in the comics, different animated shows, different interpretations. It just kind of acknowledges it as this, for lack of a better term, the brand of Spider-Man is just this, this, um, this, uh, this living entity, um, this living thriving entity that, uh, that, that just, accumulates from all all these different sources and it just it just they these movies capture that so well uh and it, it really is a shame that that phil lord is apparently a, a giant dick uh, <laughs> the way that he uh he manages that production um but you know a lot of people who make good movies are horrible people so it's not that surprising what are you gonna, are you gonna do it's uh the poor animators in vancouver are taking the brunt of it yet again though well, the more more of them need to pull lower decks and unionize. Shout out those guys. Agreed. Getting that done. Um, and like I said, you showed you showed a lot more commitment to it in some form or the other than I have. Like the last thing I I wrote, and I originally pitched it to Toon Zone, and it didn't end up there, probably because it is an absolutely unwieldy mess. It's my like five thousand word dissection of Fully Coolly Prague, um, and I'm obviously glad that I put that on my own website. Uh, now because it still exists easily and it was something that even uh, DeMarco liked but it's a reminder it's like that's now pretty far back <laughs> um, and you've and we're, just we're, you know we're getting more Fooly Cooly they're doing they're doing more of those for oh, Adult I, Swim now I might I'll, I'll have to see whether one of them's worth another long long over analysis but my guess is is that you I mean you're talking about you may not do this in in five years and I'm like I'm already not doing it, basically. And I basically, around about the time you wrapped up Zonin in 2010, I went back for, to, to finally finish up my degree in university, came up to Canada, SFU, all that. And uh, the amount that I wrote just fell off. Like, it was already beginning to fall off. It's like, the amount I wrote, the amount was on the form just fell off. Because you, you can't do that when you're when you're doing a STEM degree and you've already done all the undergrad stuff in community college you're just all taking all i'm doing is taking very difficult coursework um and after having let the prior coursework get a little rusty um and so to see you through master's degrees and so on and so forth and you know all the different things and finding different ways to keep this rolling is uh truly notable it, it might just be because i had nothing better to do with my time that's how it started 
and maybe the situation's only gotten a little better. I know, there's, <laughs> there's, the cer- there's, cer- there's certainly worse hobbies. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The I, I mean, also I should acknowledge that Zon in Canada was basically non-existent for like five years. There was, there was the, I did replace it with a blog called um, Sitting on an Atomic Bomb, which was just dreadful, unfocused um, nothingness that you can just forget about. Um, but yeah, then I brought it back as a podcast in 2015 because I thought, oh, it looks like there's stuff to talk about again. And uh, I can go back and maybe re- re-explore my uh, very unfinished, unpolished ideas uh, from my youth and and turn them into something. And I don't know if I have quite turned them into something. Maybe I'm just uh, still kind of on the on, on the negative end of that because I can't make money off of it. But um, yeah, I think uh, for for posterity's sake, I think I think the podcast has uh, has gone well. As we kind of, as I kind of alluded to earlier, I haven't been putting out as many episodes. There have been a few things that people have wanted me to talk about uh, that I didn't want to do a full episode on. Um, I guess we can kind of touch on those now. We we started talking about this earlier with Teletoon, uh, how, as I'm sure many of you know, the English language Teletoon television station is gone. It has been rebranded as Cartoon Network Canada, and Cartoon Network Canada has been rebranded as Boomerang Canada. This does not mean that Teletoon is dead, uh, because there's still the Teletoon Plus app, uh, which you can buy as an extent, or get as an extension on Amazon Prime, and the French Teletoon uh, is still there. And some might argue that the French Teletoon is in fact the real Teletoon, and that the English Teletoon was just a weird mirror image of the French version. I always kind of saw it that way. It's like, you see the French version of Teletoon, and you're like, oh, that's that's why they did things that way. That's why they aired that weird stuff on the English-language Teletoon, because they were just kind of conforming to what they were doing on the French version of the station. And, you know, that French version of Teletoon is still, it's, it's still very popular and, uh, and still, uh, still, still a pretty big deal to French-speaking audiences uh, as well. But I guess, um, despite the fact that it has proven to be a strong brand with English audiences as well, uh, it's, it's, it's gone now. And that just kind of made me think about, you know, for years, if there's one thing that's been consistent with Zon in Canada over the years, it's been focusing on its negative qualities. But I, I think there are a lot of positive things to look back on, especially if you go back to like when the station started in like 1997, 1998, when it was born from this um, regulatory policy experiment of genre protection, where different companies would basically get the right to make a state, make a cable station, this uncharted frontier of higher tier cable. Um, to make a station that would be focused on a specific genre and they would have the exclusive rights to control that genre in extended cable in Canada with the expectation that they would produce original Canadian content. Interesting approach to this. Uh, It only kind of worked, but it definitely got interesting results. Uh, And those results just kind of got worse over time as those regulations were rolled back. And corporate consolidation happened, which is to be expected in Canada, I guess. It, it, it ran into some very weird sort of con- convergence of forces because there was obviously eventually things that came out of the CanCon process as critiqued uh, by you and many others that eventually did find its way 
uh, to the States and found strong audiences. Like that's, you know, total drama is obviously never going to be something for me, but obviously is something now. Again, we're talking these long time frames. Like that's some that's somebody's childhoods, and they're adults that pay like taxes now and work a job, and probably because they're a zillennial or, or a zoomer, share an apartment with like eight other people uh, just to get by. But the fact of the matter is, is that you know, did things did it eventually bear some fruit? It's like yeah, technically, might have it had born stuff faster if it had been sort of more free to sort of it, sort of just like focus on look well we don't we aren't trying to fill a quota we're just trying to make something good enough that we can then resell to you know essentially barter uh for the purposes of uh by the end of the you know the day with our american counterparts for you know we're going to give you this really good show and then we're going to get something back um and i mean there is certainly lots of attempts at, at that with animation and CanCon, even you know like you know, pals with grant on nick that kind of stuff even before you had things that were more solid hits, but it's just like, it's weird to think that, um, you know, like it's gone, that it's gone like that, 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 that process, because it's like, I don't feel like now something from Cartoon Network Canada that's made for Cartoon Network Canada is going to filter. I don't think they, they don't the make any, kind of, they don't make anything for Cartoon Network Canada. Yeah. Like, like they just fill time with, um, with, yeah. with older productions. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't see, they don't see why they would ever make something again. Yeah. With, Cause like the whole idea is, is that it's just a just monument play. to the failure of, of, uh, to, to the ways that CanCon policies have failed in Canada yeah. over the years. Um, I say CanCon policies in Canada as if they exist in any other country. The way native content policies have failed in Canada <laughs> or local content policies yeah. have failed in Canada. But there have been successes because, you know, when Teletoon died, the the brand like the brand recognition was so strong for Teletoon, and people still remember the very earliest days of Teletoon when it was like very distinct, very memorable. Uh, like you you look at their old programming bumpers, and they were just wild. Like you you wouldn't expect that from any other station today. So well, or even. Even was, then, they really stood out, and their entire approach to having this really diverse schedule with shows from from around the world uh, and other shows that were exported, like, yeah, I mean, hey, Angela Anaconda has always been yeah. something that people like to to make fun of incessantly, but people still remember it. <laughs> it is well, when people talk about it, like you know exactly what it is. Well, else is like, how many cartoons got to be in front of like a Digimon movie? Right? Yeah, that like. Too. <laughs> um, you know, there was the, I mean, that aspect of putting those things together, saying we need these things to exist, creates these like unexpected opportunities, externalities, where some, some, you know, some of that content gets seen by a ton of people who weren't going to be exposed to it otherwise, or it gets bundled into things, you know, it's like Angela and Decon stuff also came in through like Kablam, through Nick. Like there's a bunch of these little things that came in through the corners um, by it existing. Um, so the idea that like, oh man, like, you know, it, it, the, the rough part now is, is like there is no, there is there that cultural exchange there is just obviously gone with the modern format of it, and there's nothing you know to fill in the gaps quite in the same way. You're not going to have, you mean you much, you are much more likely to have a U.S. company paying to have something animated in Vancouver, uh, either because it was non-union or at least because they had the bandwidth, and then it's just for an American IP. Like Lordex is great, but it's just you know, it's not an opportunity necessarily for 
uh, local voices to create something with local talent and then say that's a value to the rest of the world. Um, and it is weird that even during that time frame, probably one of the better examples of that was at Ed Netty, and that was Cartoon Which Network Which did not qualify as Canadian check. content. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, it, oh. it was funded by, it wasn't funded through the appropriate channels. So yeah. and that's and that's yeah it's like hey it's yeah. a Canadian it's Canadian voice actors Canadian animators uh, in a Canadian studio paying taxes in Canada etc 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 the only thing that happens at the end of the day is you know do they did a, did a Canadian company retain the copyright well probably not um, I don't know how ownership of that went with between CN and, and and AK at the end of the day but at the ultimate. Ultimately, though, I mean, like they even made like jokes like Canadians wear guns in it, right? And they're just talking about turkey basters, and it's just, you know, it's, oh man, it's it's sort of strange. It is weird to lose Teletoon, but it's also just like it was yeah. built on questionable policy. I, I I don't think that the well the policy was maybe questionable, but I think that the results were ultimately good because I don't think that a station like this unique and memorable would have been able to exist without that experiment yeah i mean well and, especially because it like they yeah. took the they 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 didn't take it for granted that like they had to prove themselves because this was also there they had to kind of simultaneously worry about this is when mtv and nick were both incredibly experimental as well cartoon network was coming up um but all these you know packaging for those blocks th- that kind of content there had been wild for years because you had people like fred sabert and and all the, you know, like go listen to it. There's a million uh, YouTube channels to break down all of that dirt in vastly more granular detail than this here. Go watch Pop Arena, everybody, if you've got time after this, and you can get all that in much more explicit detail. But the, the general point is, is like, they did not say like, oh, because we have this protection, we don't have to like try. In fact, they pushed it as hard or harder. As we sort of alluded to, the whole situation with Teletoon was kind of, you know, it, it was kind of complicated because... It created something that was really interesting. Yeah. But at the same time, like, its existence prevented Cartoon Network from being able to exist in Canada, which is why we didn't get Toonami. And the people running Teletoon, just for whatever reason, uh, they just didn't want to run anime in there, even though they had an adult block, which would have been perfect for it. They just, you know, they would run some OVAs of movies now and again, but TV shows never. And this, this is part of why I didn't want to do a whole episode focusing on, on Teletoon dying uh, because everything I've wanted to say about Teletoon I've already said in the episodes that we've done about the manga entertainment stuff that ran on there in the adult block, card captors, which ran in the kids block and, and Cyber 6. It's all covered. I think the only really notable TV series that ran sort of as a quote-unquote pure not heavily localized for kids anime was Naruto in French, which I guess is actually pretty notable. Uh, Naruto has had an interesting journey in in French Canada. Maybe that is something I should do an episode about in the future. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if anybody out there has uh, opinions about Naruto in French. Maybe maybe they, maybe share them in the comments of my blog. No one ever posts in the comments for the Zon in Canada blog. Tell me all about your story, your background with with Naruto in Quebec or in French. I'd, I'd love to hear that. Maybe that maybe that's worth exploring in the future. But that, do, that doesn't matter because French Teletoon is still there. Given okay. how much it had already come unglued uh, at Teletoon, is it, was it, was it uh, fair to put it out to pasture at this point in English? 
oh, it didn't ma- it didn't actually make any difference. Uh, <laughs> everything that had made Teletoon what it, what it was, and you know the the in the eras where people cared or thought it mattered, uh, has long been diluted. Uh, just because Teletoon has just been bought out and merged with other companies so many times that everything that made it the bad and the good of what made Teletoon unique is just long gone at, the, at this point. Like what whatever. Whatever force was not interested in having anime on Teletoon is gone, but at the same time, everything that kind of made them have interesting programming decisions or... Uh, anything or, or, else that would have made it at least, okay, you didn't give me this thing, but you gave me else something interesting yeah. or something reflective yeah, is also exactly. gone. Yeah, so again, it's complicated. Yeah. Complicated relationship with Teletoon here on the Zon in Canada podcast. <laughs> Much more interesting than the pure hatred of the old Zonen Canada blog, which was childish and immature. Uh, but we, we, things are more well considered now. We're, we're, we're in our, you know, don't it always seem to, you know, go and don't know what we got till it's gone phase, you know, a little bit more mature <laughs> like that. Exactly. And I guess another thing that I didn't really want to have a whole episode about uh, was the whole situation that we're seeing kind of related to what we just talked about. Uh, with with regulatory experiments, but uh, Bill C eleven, yeah. uh, the They're... online streaming act, which um, is gonna old, probably have all this new again in that yeah. sense. <laughs> and it's always I... loops back to the policy. <laughs> yeah, so probably heard you probably heard about this, and I think that most people, when they know about regulation of streaming services sort of being impending uh, based on the recently passed legislation, I think most people are fairly neutral on it uh if you know anybody who works in like the film or television or animation industry their opinions are almost definitely going to be more on the positive side and but then you hear a lot of complaining about it almost all of which is focused on conservative um echo chambers which are painting this as like a censorship bill and then you have like libertarian leaning tech i I think sort of sort of perspectives which tend to lean more negative um, negative to neutral at the same time. I think there's a sub-bubble of that, too, where, you mean, we do have... We're in a weird we're in a weird era where there are now YouTube can be not just one person's job, YouTube can be a job that can support companies valued at hundreds of millions of dollars with hundreds of employees, some of which are Canadian, and you get the weird thing where it's like, none of these tax credits ever worked for us ever anyways. Um, so these changes... Like, you know, like, it's weird to see, like, they're, this is already behind the ball and already just in that section. Cause it's like, how does that, how is this going to apply to them as a content creator for through who then makes their money through a, a platform that's US based? It's like, question mark. Well, a lot of the um, controversy about Bill C-11 was how it would impact user, gen- like quote unquote user generated content. And user generated content but, being a really weird scale of yeah, stuff now. But, but the thing, but despite the fact that, you know, during the whole legislative process, they were fighting off amendments to right. uh, to address that in the bill, mm-hmm. after it all passed, they just made, a, a, the government made a policy directive to the CRTC saying, don't regulate user content, yeah. um, effectively killing that entire basis of criticism oh, yeah. against no. the bill, which I, I don't understand why they did it that way, but that's... That's what it came down to in the end. And now it's mostly a matter of how you feel about the idea of CanCon, what it is, what it should be, 
and how it's going to apply to streaming services. Well, and who can, and who can access it? Who can who can yeah. get gets back into that thing of like there's all these sorts of little little bonuses and stuff that theoretically, if you can manage the paperwork, any Canadian creator can get. In practice, <laughs> yeah, you got to be like one of these major companies to sort that out. And this redresses none of that. And if the whole idea is smaller voices or what you are and aren't lifting up, that's a fair criticism of this thing being, you know, cart before the horse, but that's out of pocket for, you know, you telling me to go read the Crunchyroll document about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, that, so that's the other thing, obviously the scope of what services are going to be impacted by this is still a little unclear. I think, like, sort of the vague proposal is that companies that have a gross revenue of $10 million uh, in Canada for, through streaming revenue uh, could potentially be required to, like, register. And the uh, this could potentially, you know, impact anime services or services that people use for anime. Uh, and, you know, going back to how regulation impacts anime, as might be expected, Crunchyroll and AMC, who owns High Dive, and Tubi, and, uh, you know, the companies that provide most of the anime through streaming, they did uh, submit interventions. Um, they were a little interesting to look at. Uh, so I, my opinion on this is that I don't think that anime is going to be heavily impacted in any way. Oh, also worth noting that Cinedime, who owns Retro Crush, didn't even bother to put an intervention in, uh, which I think is probably appropriate because I no matter how things shake out, I can't imagine Retro Crush not just slipping through the cracks in all of this it's, because they are so the, small. The, the weird part with Cinedime is just sort of seeing they're making other changes that happen to ha be going around at the same time where it's just like, yeah, they're clearly just focusing all their anime stuff into Retro Crush, like they're killing con TV anime, or at least I'm not seeing it up here in Canada anymore. But that makes sense. If you have Retro Crush as a brand instead, um, why would you run two streaming channels, some of which, uh, for a while there, both of which had uh, fast channels as well on various and sundry apps competing for the same set of eyeballs, basically. Um, and actually, at points, I think we're running, like, Boogie Bop Phantom against each other, dubbing that sucked. Yeah. What an age we live in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the flip side. This is like, you know, what was what was, you know, a big part of... The drive, you know, looping back, big part of the drive behind Zanin as a blog was like just access and getting things. And now, well, it's there. <laughs> we all have the access. Um, does this bill impact that? Uh, so <sighs> if you look at the Crunchyroll submission, um, yeah. it's it's it, it's a little funny because um, yeah. it, it uh, they, they very weird. They seem it reads weird. <laughs> they're mostly reiterating things or saying like, oh, we completely support uh, mm -hmm. what the commission is doing. Uh, I don't know if it is because they are lazy or just extremely confident, uh, but they don't seem to be concerned about being subject to regulation. The, the way that they, they've put this together, they, they basically just reiterate what Crunchyroll is, a service that mm -hmm. provides authentic Japanese anime content, which must be produced in Japan by definition, yeah. Uh, and be in Japanese. That's that's more or less how they define it. Yeah. Uh, and they're saying that, yep, as as you said in your proposed regulations, smaller services that uh, do not have a material impact on the Canadian broadcasting system uh, will be exempt. And it it, it kind of takes it as a given. But I'm also not a lawyer, so 
You know, I mean, the I, other thing is, is that in the number, they're throwing around numbers of like, if you're under 10 million, you probably don't have to care. We know from, I think the merger numbers is like Crunchyroll had like a million ish subscribers or something worldwide. So as a percentage of population, like, yeah, they could easily be under those numbers for revenue for Canada. Yeah. You know, the fact that there aren't any sort of like, there isn't that possibility of that, you know, it's like, it's trickier, I think maybe for the, for the AVOD players like Tubi, which has to say like, you know what, theoretically, a whole bunch of people could be watching enough Tubi because it's so broad audience that maybe they, maybe they crack $10 million in ad sales in Canada. There's quite a bit more pushback from Tubi. They're basically saying that any any service that relies on advertising should be exempt because uh, they're they're feeling the heat from this it's, a bit, I think. And I, honestly, I don't think that this, this is going to keep Tubi from operating here because they are they are run by Fox, so it's not like this is just a mom and pop um, company. They're they're run by Fox. I could see where they would be like, well, if we've got to readjust our library rather than trying to commission anything or change what they're buying. I could see them just saying like, all right, how much of the library is basically not being watched anyways, which might unreasonably lean on some of their old anime. And some of that might not be particularly love lost. Well, I miss uh, Arjuna being on Tubi. Maybe because every once in a while I want to look at an old shot and be like, ah, that's where Gohan's got it from. They've been doing the same animators, been doing the same weird camera tricks for 20 years. Back to that number again. In this wonderful season of two Gohan's animes. Oh, God. <laughs> gracing our eyeballs. They, they, I thought they had learned their lesson with Wise. And like clearly it had just been like, they, like Osaka gave them a reason to not screw up. Like they had to focus because there was a city they would have upset that they operate out of and have a giant billboard in um, for their shows. Uh, but clearly the second they're just like, you can let the second they can have like a budget to move the camera around, they do. And they just don't need to but that's an that's an aside the point here is is that Tubi, they have a lot of weird old stuff on it like thought yeah. hack is up there terribly but also like cowboy bebop's up there and it's like what, what are they going to cut well they'll probably keep some anime but if they had to sort of rearrange their library it's going to be the weird fun stuff that yeah maybe somebody like jesse or i has on dvd hiding somewhere but otherwise if i want to point somebody to some weird thing or i want to cite it um that just becomes lost media without these AVOD streamers. I think now. I think they. I think. Think. I think these things do have a place for, especially as you know, Netflix is more expensive, no longer something you can account share, et cetera, et cetera, and has a fifth the library of a tubby, right? Just to clarify mm -hmm. and stress as well, when you're talking about services potentially cutting content because of these mm -hmm. regulations, I have to stress it's not because or straight stress to the the listeners mm -hmm. it's yes. not because it's not canadian content because yeah. that's not how canadian content is going to is proposed to work in these regulations uh the services aren't expected to have a, any specific percentage of canadian content in their library but regulated services are expected to have canadian content prominently displayed on the front page of their site yeah. um and so that people will find it the same way that with the same ease that yes. they would find content from the United States, basically, and and other countries, but it's really the content from the United States that is yeah. the main focus here. Um, and personally, I I don't have any problem with that. Uh, you, you, I see a lot of people grandstanding about, um, you know, the rights of these companies to 
keep their industry secrets and not have that, their their precious algorithms. Oh, the algorithm with. stuff is, is just nonsense, anyways. Yeah, and it's, it's something that's uh, as we're seeing as social media comes unglued um, as a relevant example here. All of this algorithm stuff's nuts. Um, the fact that threads launched with algorithms only and no chronological timeline is nuts. The way the Twitter has been monkeyed with in all these ways is weird. Um, there's a lot of room for an entity like a government, like the Canadian government, to say, for the purposes of what's being highlighted on your platform, you guys are already, by and large, in no way empowering the user to make any rational decisions on this stuff. Um, it is very telling that effectively the only two platforms uh, out of all this social media implosion that seem to try to provide that is uh, Mastodon and ActivityPub through an almost Linux-like level of technical density and uh, Im imposingness that uh, is its own constraint. And uh, Blue Sky, which is very much about allowing you know people to build their own lists and algorithms and share them and then build their own mute uh, lists so that people can sort of say like, I don't want to see, hear from these kind of jerks and mm -hmm. you just, you know, that person's reliable. It's very obvious that from those two examples alone, that all of this horse shit from these tech companies about what they do and don't have to do and what they can and the tools they can and can't give you the user. Yeah. Um, uh, it's nonsense. So towards that end, in terms of if you're a big company and you have to highlight some Canadian content because you're making 10 million a year, shut up, throw a little list at the top. I know if you've got more content than friggin' Netflix at this point, you can throw that stuff up. Is it going to maybe be a stagnant list? Is it not going to necessarily rotate as much as your other what's hot lists? Probably, but it's easy enough to do and it's not going to be drive people off from it because you're an AVOD platform and everybody's broke. People are going to be turning to you no matter what. It it's it is frustrating to see how many people in uh you know in the in in the grand the grand discussion of mm -hmm. all this uh seem to think that these tech companies can just do whatever they want or should be allowed to do whatever they want, and you know I think that the the regulations we're seeing in Canada right now pushing back on that even if they're not always doing it in the best way like we look at you know the the news regulation that the, the news um. The, the news bill that's gone the, through recently. The news bill has gone through recently, but the thing is, like that's, a, that's the same stuff that like France has passed, very yeah. similar stuff that Australia has passed, very similar to stuff that California itself, the home of all these guys, is considering passing. So it ain't that out of pocket. Doing a link tax is not mm -hmm. the best way of doing no. this, and it could backfire in the future. Uh, but it, it at the end of the day, it's just you have to, you, you can't just let these tech companies do what they want. You have to draw the line uh they have to contribute to the country that they're in many ways exploiting those you know, the countries and and yeah. audiences that they're in many ways exploiting uh with with seemingly no consequence um yeah. for for far too long and I, I mean i think a lot of the intolerance that people have towards sort of the established media industry in canada apart from rat like the huge disinformation that is turning people against it um is because of a lot of the mistakes made in regulation in the past true um and it's, it's not it's not a great track record because there's a yeah. it is you know as i kind of alluded to earlier it's often behind the ball in terms of like who's already pivoted who's already figured out the other side of this stuff such that like okay so this is the rule set and i've got to deal with these people it doesn't matter i'm still able to build uh an ongoing concern and grow it um, 
as a Canadian-based company and then, uh, you know, share that, be that face, be a Canadian face to the world through that as well. Um, those are those are opportunities. We have our Canadian influencers in various and sundry uh, verticals and all that. And that's kind of amazing. And that's enabled because of these platforms. But that d- means that these platforms... Obviously, if they can do that kind of thing, if somebody can exploit, can, can I shouldn't say exploit them, but can leverage them because they're being probably more exploited than they are, than they're getting leveraged. Uh, but the thing is, is that they can do that. That means that there are, there's pass, pathways there. So there is the aspect of how, how can the government encourage people to leverage those pathways versus a link tax, for example? How do you make these things optimized from that side? And then how do you sort of make sure that there aren't fingers on the scale otherwise. And that's a different kind of regulation than a link tax. And that's a different kind of regulation than necessarily even saying we need Canadian content specifically highlighted on these pages versus saying this algorithmic kind of stuff has to like hit the, hit the bricks. Otherwise people should be able to be able to drill down more effectively. You need to be able to provide the tools to the user so that they can find the content that Mm -hmm. they're actually interested in. Not what you're trying to shove on them, not what you're trying to get back in the black on because you overspent, you spent $300 million on a movie that was maybe going to ever make you a hundred million in the best of worlds. No, 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 no. Like all of this, like it's, it's the kind of thing where it's like, if there's something to complain about, in terms of the regulation, it's not that it's there. It's that, is it actually achieving the goal? Yeah. And going back to the, like the mentality that uh, the original Zun in Canada was born from 20 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that we're definitely better off now because we can still, you know, our anime is not going away. I, I'm gonna, I, I really don't think that we're going to lose anything that we're getting now as a result of this. And I think there's a potential for, you know, good things to come, of, to come from it. We could get new programs, new approaches to streaming in Canada could could come out of this as well. It's hard to say. It's all a little up in the air right now. We could have another era of, of experimentation. Um, uh, also, it could it could just be more more um, more regulatory capture from the usual parties. That's I mean, we're in a, very we're likely, already, we're, but we're we're already in a weird state just because you know Canada had had been kind of dragging on. AVOD advertising. I keep using these things, and I should, for the listeners who aren't familiar, advertising video supported video on demand. AVOD fast, which is free ad supported streaming television. In other words, linear TV on your streaming device. And Canada had been kind of dragging on that stuff, and suddenly is in the game on that through partnerships with U.S. entities. And that does ultimately provide a bunch of uh, Canadian content a space including legacy Canadian content, especially a space to continue to have a uh, visibility here in Canada in a, in a constant way, but also in North America and around the world in some cases. So those are the kind of things where it's like, those are the opportunities to be, if there's, if there's things that regulations can encourage as opposed to positive versus punitive kind of approaches here, if there was things to try and push uh, Canadian content into fast channels such that they were then, you know, favorable for Roku, Pluto, etc. to pick up. That's valuable because those are audiences that are just kind of flipping through trying to see something. So if you can be there visible, that is the opportunity to, to draw people in and not only make sure that Canada gets what Canada needs from Canada, but that Canada is visible to the world. Yeah, I'm not the bit 
as big a booster on the AVOD stuff as, as you are, obviously, but I, it is a neat little playground, and I think a lot of things does, can, it, can be it, born from this. It feels uh, like it's can, where yeah. things are heading, at least in terms of regular TV. Obviously, Maybe. so much of it, so much, so much, so much of the rest of it is is just like people, you know, direct to people through like your YouTubes and stuff like that. We're we're getting to the uh, point where I think I, I wish we'd just go back to regular TV. But, I don't. Think, we're, we're not uh, going to get that. It's not that's definitely not happening. Not happening. But that. But knowing that that. But the thing is, if you regulate, knowing that that's a strong possibility, there's an opportunity for any you know for particularly for a place like Canada that has the full stack of talent start to finish to create distribute all this kind of stuff if that's what's getting the backing and getting the uplift um now more than ever that isn't just you've provided that for here that's you provide that for everywhere <laughs> and you make and you pull the money back in you stop being mined and you start starts coming home so i think we got to uh got to wrap up <laughs> Um, yeah. Just before uh, we do, there's one other thing I wanted to mention. I know that one thing that we we have brought up constantly over the years is that uh, certain companies like Sentai Filmworks and Discotech don't have distribution in Canada for their home video releases. Um, I am happy to say that Sentai Filmworks stuff actually is now showing up at Sunrise Records. Wonderful. Uh, unfortunately, it is off to a rough start. Uh, they've oh. only gotten a few in, and they are very expensive. Uh, I think you got to drop like ninety bucks on Made in Abyss season two, uh, which is pretty. Yeah, even uh, some two, you know what? That's some two thousand three prices. That is some two thousand three prices <laughs> for sure. Uh, two thousand three, like Genion in Canada prices. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, I, I will say that you know that that really sucks. But the these stores have like really screwed up ways in determining what products they carry from what companies and what distributors mm -hmm. and by actually buying the stuff they do get in probably will help um, them get more stuff in the future and maybe figure out better pricing schemes. So, I mean, if you got money to burn and don't mind spending a little more on the Sentai titles they get in at, at, at sunrise, I, I say go pick them up. Um, well, the getting's good. Yeah, you never know what exactly. uh, you never like this. Uh, one of the things you know, again, think about 20 years. It's just like how much of the stuff you get a chance to pick up. And not necessarily, we've been lucky. Companies like, Retro, uh, not Retro Crush, I should say, but because um, they're leveraging the work that uh, Discotech is doing. You know, we've been very lucky that some of these things have gotten very loving, very incredible reissues with a lot of hardworking people working on them. But that does, well, that's not for everything. And so as these things come out, yeah, pick them up and pick them up in stores because those stars do not last. The anime stores I was hanging around in 20 years ago when I wasn't busy chatting with you on forums and stuff, um, all that's gone. And not just gone, like, well, the store moved locations. No, the store went out of business. The lot was leveled, and they built a skyscraper on top of it. Any anime stores, any anime stores that are left now... They're, they're basically just figurine stores. They're all yep. becoming very samey. Uh, and there are, like, Umomo in at least one of the locations in Vancouver. Like, they are now carrying anime figures. Uh, so they're even they're getting in on that. So, I mean, there is sort of a, there is sort of a future <laughs> way forward for those places, but it's all becoming very samey. It's not like it used to be where you could, you know, you go to the anime store to buy anime. Uh, those days are done. But it's worth still doing because 
you don't know what these things, these streaming services and stuff can keep even in, you know, even in the absence of zero regulation, you never know when a large multinational corporation might decide, Hey, if we literally just throw all of these things in a river, we get a tax write off. And Sony's a large multinational corporation. They own Crunchyroll, so and, and uh. you know, and, and, and Sentai's owned by AMC, which is also a giant corporation. Get while the getting's good, kids. <laughs> I mean, I mean, AMC and High Dive already killed Pantheon. It's gone, written off. Yep, burned off the face of the earth. There's you can't you can only pirate it now, yep. uh, and it only it had only been available for a few months. So, yep. you know, expect more of that. <laughs> uh, yeah, and on that note, we are going to wrap up. Uh, Carl, thanks so much for this has been great on. being back on for the first time in a while. <laughs> I, I, this has been a great discussion. Every, I, I just had random things I wanted to talk about, and it all actually came together very well. So, Carl, what uh, what are you up to these days, and where can people find you online? Well, I am still at all the same old places, still at ultraclastron.com, ultraclastronbandcamp.com, carlrolson.com. I'm still on various social platforms i'm trying to focus on blue sky for right now because the vibes are pretty immaculate if for some reason you're listening to this episode in the future and threads is one we're in the terrible timeline uh we live in a dystopia i only hope it's at least cyberpunk and cool (laughs) all right thanks for tuning in to zonan canada if you've been with us since 2003 thank you for sticking around for so long bless you i I can uh (laughs) I, I cannot express my appreciation enough. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at jbetteridge on Blue Sky, uh, jbetteridge.bsky.social. Uh, I think that's how you you are supposed to say Blue Sky. I I I'm cool, and I use I'm use I use my domain name because I went and set up the thing to use my domain name. Right. So I didn't get as good a handle as our buddy Corey. I leave that as an exercise to the listener. Um. <laughs> Into twenty more years of the of Zound and Canada, Jesse. I can't, we should have had Corey on this episode. I didn't. I didn't think to ask him. But um, <laughs> can't believe we've yeah. done this. Anyway, you can also email me zondandcanada at gmail.com. I I never get emails. If you want to email me on this special occasion, uh, that'd be really great. I love it. Send your birthday wishes to the podcast, the website. Yeah. It's been old enough to drink for a year, and nobody has bought it a drink. <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, the theme song is by Carl here. Uh, you can find it on his album Packet Flood at ultraclystron.com. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. See you again. See everybody. One thing that I meant to mention in the last episode, uh, where we talked about crying Freeman, um, was that he was in the he was in the last episode of the crying Freeman OVA because it was mm. you know the most of it was done by Streamline, but they never got to dub the last episode. But ADV picked it up and, and dubbed that last episode with their you know most mostly their in house guys, and one of them was Vic Mignogna. One of his his role in that episode is just this guy who's masturbating. <laughs> um, just out like while a bunch of people are getting killed around him, and and he uses his Junpei voice from Persona Three. So, um, it, it's funny going back twenty years to look at that, and you're just like, oh, this is he. He was at his mo- he was actually at his most Vic, right 
right from almost Me- day one. So. Method. 